internet, I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. And you're listening to Schmanners. It's extraordinary etiquette. For ordinary occasions. Hello, my dove. Hello, dear. How are you? I'm doing okay. Yeah. Um, I've been outside maybe four or five times in yeah. the last couple weeks, so... Yeah, that's pretty good. Getting that vitamin dizzle. Um, hi, everybody. Sorry we uh, this episode is late. It should have been up last week, but we had some allergy issues here in the oh, house. Oh, man. Could not stop sneezing. Had so many sneeze attacks, and we just couldn't do it. So here we are now. Yes. Hello. 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 Hi. Hi. Uh, do you know what we're talking about this week? I know the name we're talking about this week. Yes. William. No. William Morris. Okay. <sighs> uh, okay. All right. Let me give you a clue. <laughs> What do you think about when I say arts and crafts movement? Oh, Teresa. The, the 60s? Is no, it the 60s? No. no, I don't think of anything. Okay. I don't think of anything. Here's, Here, here's, okay. what, here's what I associate in my brain with the arts and crafts movement. There is a hotel in the California Adventure area of Disneyland. That's that highly decoratively carved wood and the stained glass. Are you talking about the Hollywood Tower of Terror? No, the real hotel. Oh, right, right, right. Yes, yes, yes. Actual, like, Disney hotel there. Uh Uh-huh. And the entire thing is based on the Californian edition of the arts and crafts movement. So everything is, like, turned wood and carved by hand and, like, leaded stained glass and, every like, handmade furniture and whatever, right? Okay, yes. So the beginning of the arts and craft movement started in Victorian Britain. Um, And one of the people who is like the head of that movement is William Morris. Okay. Can I tell you? Yeah. Until we went into this, I thought he was a cigarette person. No. What's that? Is that just a different thing? Is that Marlboro? I know what Marlboro is. I I thought that... I thought that William Morris was like a company that made. Isn't there a movie with Jim Carrey called "I Love You, William Morris"? Or is that a different thing? I don't oh, know. Boy. I, I don't know what I'm I talking about. Do not live in your brain. No, okay. clearly you don't. Here's do the I? thing: Wait, uh, Do I live in my brain? I'm, What's happening here? Maybe not. This was suggested by Summer W. So thank you, Summer. Um, William Morris was an activist, an artist, a poet, and a novelist. Um, at, besides, you know, a designer, right? And um, Philip Morris makes uh, cigarettes. See, that's different. Philip Morris. That's a different person, Travis. I mean, uh, yes. And the movie was I Love You, Philip Morris. Okay, great. Cool, cool. Hey, I'm back at the beginning of the page that you're halfway down. <laughs> Keep going. Okay. He was a champion of d- dignified work and educated consumerism. Okay. Right? Um, that sounds cool. I like that. Educated consumerism. Mm-hmm. Know where you're getting your product from? Like, what Certainly. are you buying? Yeah. What are you buying? Who are you made it from? Were they paid a decent wage? Things like that. I mean, lots of stuff that's certainly applicable to today's world, oh, right? Oh, very, very much so. Um, so it was about the role of pleasure in work. So a, a craftsman putting dedication and effort into work instead of something being mass-produced by factories. Okay, right? see, now you're speaking my language because this is Antiques Roadshow stuff. Absolutely it okay, is. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You could have just said that. I would have been on the page. <laughs> uh, Antiques Roadshow stuff. 
I'd be like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and then educating consumers to make a better world for themselves and for the workers, right? So this is the whole like fair trade idea. Yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, a living wage being paid. And the um, the actual uh, price of the co- of the goods factoring in not just the CEO's pockets, right? Right. But the wages of the workers. Right. Yes. This is a thing um, that makes complete sense to me, right? Because we're thinking about this in terms of when you are buying a product, where's the money that you are spending going, right? And, you know, a $50 product versus a $51 product. And is that $1 helping somebody, like, afford to live more, (laughs) right? And also, like, are you paying for better craftsmanship because the person who was making it very much cared about the thing that they were making and wanted it to reflect their work that they put into it so it's higher quality and it right. will last longer and all of that stuff. Yes? Right. Yes. I got it. Okay. Um, so he was born March 24th, 1834. So long ago. So long How ago. How can we even remember that long ago? <laughs> um, did we even have books then? Yes, of course we did. And by all accounts, he had a pretty awesome childhood. Uh, they were pretty well off and he grew up in the countryside playing with his siblings and reading a ton. Uh, he loved particularly Arabian Nights. Um, Also, he was very deeply interested in all things herbal. Excuse me? Herbal. Herbal. One more time? This is hard because... Do you mean herbal? Yes. in In the United States, we say herbal. But in Britain, they would say herbal. Purple. Yes, but it, the first time you said it, it sounded like it rhymes with purple. <laughs> and that's why I was confused. Oh, okay. Uh, so it's a massive- Herbal or herbal? Herbal. Why, why are you getting it, it like that? It, the amount of letters herbal. in there feels weird Yeah, in but my you're throat. saying it like you've never said the word herb before. Herbal. <laughs> why is it so painful for you? It's just weird. It feels herbal. weird in my mouth. But you're doing it like you're clearing your throat. <laughs> Anyway, it's a collection of the history of plants written by English botanist John Gerard, um, and it was one of the most prevalent books on botany in the 17th century. Um, And by the time William Morris was reading it as a young boy, it was hailed as a classic, right? Okay. Um, And so, you know, one would think that in 1840s, 1850s, this was pretty much the ideal thing, right? He's surrounded in nature with, you know, stories that help him develop imagination and an interest in wildlife and flowers. And I feel like whenever we do biographies of people, right, there's one of two childhoods. Yeah. And this is the one that everybody wants to have had. Right. This is the one that people will later pretend that they did. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Even when they didn't. But it feels like there's a but coming. Well, this was. Uh, certainly out of the ordinary for the time. We're talking about the Industrial Revolution, um, and we're talking about, like, the height of of Victorian London, England places. So, uh-huh. like, you know, uh, factories, densely populated cities, children filthy in the street. You know what I mean? Yeah, right? yeah, Kinsian. Dickensian. Yeah. Are there no workhouses? <laughs> um 
So he was able to go to university and he tried to be an architect for a while. But it just, you know, a regular life didn't interest him. And he was rich enough or his family was well enough off that he could afford to do that, right? Yes. Um, so, again, he wanted his work and therefore his life to be an exercise of expression of beauty and he joy. He wanted it to mean something. Exactly. Um, I don't relate. <laughs> <laughs> so let me let me continue to paint this this picture, right? Um, Just make sure you get paid for your work. Uh huh. What we're talking about specifically in this time period is the consumer goods, right? Right. We've talked about a lot of Victorian England, and we uh, have mentioned curio cabinets, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a thing. A curio cabinet, if I'm not mistaken, is a cabinet that contains curios. Oh, that, sorry, oh, yes. that's a joke. But also, it's it, curios are like little um, collectibles or little art pieces, right? Right, and they are kind of like the microcosm of the Victorian home. Now, if you were the nouveau riche in the in Victorian era, you wanted so much stuff because the amount of stuff really indicated your intelligence, your status, your affluence, your affluence yeah, yeah, yeah. all of that stuff, If right? you see, like, I don't know, I guess drawings or whatever of the time or even photographs, you know, of the late Victorian period, you'll see, like, their rooms were filled. Stuffed. Simply stuffed and highly decorated. Yeah. With uh, wallpapers and... Like um, bird cages and plants and, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like, statues and... And pictures and, like, um, very elaborate looking furniture but the stuff was pretty cheap actually um these goods had beforehand been reserved for you know higher class and now they're much wider available because the quality has gone way down and this is what what year because this is about the industrial revolution right that's where we're kind of looking at right yeah. So 1860s, 1870s. I'm, man, my history teachers are going to be so disappointed in me that I had to look up Industrial Revolution. Well, we've talked about this before. I mean, it feels like when when things yeah, are so on a timeline. 1760 to 1840. So in 1840, he was born what in the 1830s. Yeah. So this is like post Industrial Revolution. So we have seen a boom in things being able to. Yeah be manufactured much faster. Right. And but. so what I was saying is, as far as, like, timeline goes, it's kind of hard. You you really need to, like, stack the areas, the corners of the world on top of each other because at the same time as, say, Georgian England, right, that was the industrial, re- sorry, that was the American Revolution. Right. And then you had Victorian, which kind of, like, circled the world because so did their ships. There's you know. a lot going on. Anyway. That's what we're saying. History, a little too stuffed with stuff. So by the mid-19th century, many people were deeply troubled by the effects of the Industrial Revolution, not only, you know, on the earth, but also in society, right? And one of the things that happened is these factories, 
Man, they were not for the worker. They no. really weren't. They were to line the pockets of the of the big guys, and the little guys suffered a lot. Well, yeah, we didn't have we didn't have unions. We didn't have protections for workers. We didn't have there wasn't a like a limit on the hours people could work, mm-hmm. or there were no safety measures. There was no OSHA. There's none of that. So right. like if people got hurt, it was kind of like the at their own risk, right? There was no workman's exactly. comp. There was no breaks. There was none of that. There was lots of child labor. There was lots of people being taken advantage of as far as their work hours. Um, and even like the state of the factories was was all about where can we cut corners right. to make the money. Um, and when you think about like wages, right, yep. we had gone from – Meeting the workers who were doing it, right, because they had uh, some experience where they could make the products. Mm-hmm. And now we were in a period where it was just like, hey, listen, we could replace you yeah. easily. And so you're going to accept the amount of money you're being given or we'll just get somebody else. Not only their jobs were were hazardous, also where they were living. I mentioned overcrowded cities um, and unsit stable and unsafe tenement homes were erected. Uh, I think we've we've mentioned at this time in history, there was like no limit to how tall building could be. Well, and you also have to think about crime rates because as we're thinking about all of these people out of work, right? Right. As things are being industrialized, people are turning more and more to crime to try to make ends meet, right? So now it's even less safe to live in your neighborhood because there are desperate people there, you know? Yes. Um, and the factories specifically, the worst parts of town, um, just pumped out soot and ash. Yeah. And so, like, every place was so dirty and unhygienic and gross. And, uh, in fact, um, William Morris was born just after a cholera outbreak that left 57,000 low-income people dead all throughout Britain. Yeah. This is normally where I would say we're going to give a thank you note to our sponsor, but not on that note. <laughs> not, <laughs> not now. We'll give it a couple minutes before we come back to that. Okay. Um, certainly people grew concerned that the exploitative, explo- exploitative uh-huh. <laughs> nature of the employment and completely taking away people's pride in their work, pride in their homes, all that thing. Pride in that themselves. Stuff. Pride in themselves, yeah. Like, I think that I mean, psychology wasn't the thing it is now, but I'm willing to bet that you could psychoanalyze this time and people probably feeling a lot less human because Mm -hmm. of how much they were like cogs in a machine and being treated as such. Right. Uh, There were a lot of writers of the time that believed this hyper mechanization uh, deprived workers of creativity and autonomy and satisfaction. Um, And they believed that this new soulless means of production was actually filling people's homes with like, I guess I I like to picture it of like little black holes that kind of just like suck the joy and the life out of you. Like the actual things that these philosophers argued were were harming people. When you bought it, it harmed the people who made it. And when you kept it in your home, it was physically harming you. It didn't spark joy, as ah. Marie Kondo would say. It sparked the opposite. It smothered joy. But um, that's Marie Kondo's evil sister. Oh, is it? Yeah. I'm trying to think of a name. Hold on. Scary Kondo. <laughs> all right. Uh, so all of these philosophies kind of mixed together in this era. 
Um, and his dedication to these things, as well as his deep love of art, was refre- reflected in his friend group and later uh, business partners. Got it. Okay, now is where we're going to do a thank you note for our sponsors. And we'll be right back to talk about William Morris some more. I want to talk about socks. Can I tell you about socks? Baby. Yep, thank you. Compression and... I want to talk about socks, baby. I want to talk about socks on me. (laughs) Uh, I love Bomber socks very, very much. Um, I've started... As as it happens when I love uh, compression and no toe seam. That's very good. Very good. Yeah, uh, nice. Nice. I when I love uh, a clothing, uh, I will start to cycle so that it becomes the only option. <laughs> um, I own many, many, many pairs at this point because they've rethought every detail of the socks we wear to make them way more comfortable. As Teresa said, you got that uh, that like hexagonal like honeycomb thing mm-hmm. that wraps around the middle of the foot. Get a little bit of compression there, a little arch support. There's no toe seams. Um, that no-slip design for the shorter socks, which is my fave. I love them. And they're, like, interesting-looking. They have cool patterns. They have cool looks. And they're very, very comfortable to wear. And for every pair of socks you purchase, Bombas donates a pair to someone in need. The generosity of Bombas customers has allowed them to donate over 40 million pairs of socks and counting through their nationwide network of 3,000-plus giving partners. To those experiencing homelessness, these socks represent the dignity of putting on clean clothes, a small comfort, that's especially important right now. So give a pair when you buy a pair and get 20% off your first purchase at bombas.com slash schmanners. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash schmanners for 20% off your first purchase. Bombas.com slash schmanners. Hey, it's John Moe. And look, these are challenging times for our mental and emotional health. I get it. That's why I'm so excited for my new podcast, Depression Mode. We're tackling depression, anxiety, trauma, stress, the kinds of things that are just super common but don't get talked about nearly enough. Conversations that are illuminating, honest, and sometimes pretty funny with folks like Kelsey Dara, Open Mike Eagle, and Patton Oswalt. Humphrey Bogart was never in therapy. And then my dad said, yeah, but he smoked a carton of cigarettes a day. So he was in therapy. Plus psychiatrists, psychologists, and all kinds of folks. On Depression Mode, we're working together, learning, helping each other out. We're a team. Join our team. Depression Mode from Maximum Fun, wherever you get your podcasts. Tell me more about Billy Morris. Okay. Um, So in 1859, he married a uh, model and I I think actress, yes, um, named Jane Burden. And gosh, he was so in love with her. He painted her as Queen Guinevere and wrote on the back of it, this is a legend, wrote, I cannot paint you, but I love you. Isn't that beautiful? But he just painted her. I know, but I think that it, like you could not capture so her beautiful. So he was beautiful. saying, like, sorry, this is bad. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, this is bad. But it's not bad. He did, he did, he could not do the model justice, although the painting was lovely. Okay, it sounds like he was kind of fishing for compliments. I'm just saying it might be romantic, but also like, oh, no, it's fine. Hey, William? It's fine. Don't anyway, be like uh, he decided to build a beautiful family home for them um, called the Red House, and it, it was located in <clears throat> southeast London. 
It was a red brick home that had Gothic and Tudor styles and, you know, like steep roofs and an exposed beam ceiling and like a big old chimney and everything. It was like like he employed every single part of like his his psyche into it so like everything was handmade and he selected and designed everything and like it was nothing he cared about the details absolutely nothing in the home was mass produced if you could help it right um and it was his first big lesson in economics because it was super expensive i mean absolutely it was um So like I said at the beginning, he had a belief that the artisan would develop a highly specific skill and then enjoy their labor, right? So Uh hone their craft. Um, And so he said he wanted this – I don't want this to be a downer, right? Because I want this to be good. Uh But – it's really kind of a very classist thing yeah. at this point, right? He's well off, so he can afford to pay people. But then if I want, I don't know, a pair of shoes right. and I am I have a low income, I'm going to buy yes. the shoes that I can afford. It's, and that doesn't make me less because that's my circumstance. It feels... Uh, two different ways to me equally. One, as you said, very classist, right? Right. Because it has this feeling of like, well, people should be buying nicer things to make people happy. And it's like, yeah, dude. Yeah, ideally. And also like everyone should have a job that makes them happy. Like, yeah, dude. But I think that a perhaps a, I don't know, more optimistic way of looking at it is that it also feels like a very utopian kind of idea to me. Like, yes. Right. Yeah, dude, in a perfect world, everybody... Would like the the nice, you know, uh, well made thing made by somebody who was happy to make it would cost as much or less mm-hmm. as the mass produced thing. In a perfect world, everybody would get paid to do what they love to pay the bills and to do all of that. Right? Exactly. Like yeah, it, I think that that would be the way it should be, but it also isn't. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Okay, so. Um... In order to put these business ideals into practice, he started his own business with a bunch of his friends. Um, Paintball? <laughs> no. No? High-end home goods. I was close. Uh, so himself- Man, I bet a paintball, cor- like a paintball course in like 1875 would have made a killing. Are you kidding? <laughs> but what is this? Painted balls, you say? I shoot them with this air pistol at my friend Gregory? Would have, I'm just saying, if I could go back in time, paintball. And you're looking at, she's nodding. She's nodding so hard. I oh, am she's not. nodding so hard, one of her teeth fell out. No. Okay. Mm-mm. No. Okay. Um, so they started Morris, Marshall, Faulkner, and Co., which was a creative art business that was fondly referred to as The Firm. It didn't become Marshall's, did it? No. Okay. Because it had Marshall in there and talking about like crafting stuff. Oh. So I put to it. Okay. No, but they made things like wallpaper and curtains and chairs and tables and and stained glass windows and, you know, anything that you would furnish your home with, they made for your home, you know? Um, so by rights, 
and the economists of the time felt that how is this even possible, right? Because as if you could get a chair from the firm for $100, which would be the fair price to pay the workers and the material and all of that stuff. But then you could get like 10 times as many chairs yeah. for like 15 bucks each when they were mass produced. It really shouldn't have worked. Did it work? It did. It did? Um, so Morris assumed that customers would pay a higher price for something of quality that was built to last because you wouldn't have to replace it as often, <gasps> right? And he called this the, quote, just price, like as like justice. Like yeah, just yeah, yeah, price. yeah. Um, and the elegant designs as well as the quality of the work made the firm furniture and such extremely fashionable and in demand. Huh. And it profoundly influenced interior decorating all throughout the Victorian era. So, he was right? He was right. Huh. I mean, listen, it makes sense, right? But I think that it's still a gamble, right? This idea of will people be willing to pay more for quality that lasts longer? Sure. Right? And I think that that is not a gamble that would necessarily always pay off depending on like the moods of the people. Sure. But it sounds like if we're post-industrial revolution here, mm -hmm. that there was probably a desire after the 80 years of industrial revolution of like, I don't know, I would like my chair to be kind of different from that chair. And would sure, it, you know? sure. And like, I could see this being a good time for that. And also, sounds like it was quality stuff. Yeah, and you can still find a lot of the Morris prints today. Um, they're on postcards and paintings and classic wallpapers. Um, it's gorgeous and romantic and, you know, just intricate like designs. Of, yes, just like you, dear. Yeah. D with designs of flowers and leaves and birds, which several of your tattoos. <gasps> I have flowers and birds. You sure do. Wait, do I? No, he... there's no birds. No, just but the flowers. flowers. Lots okay. of flowers. Um, and so there's this style, the arts and crafts movement. I mean, nature is totally all over all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But it's really about the dignity of work, right? Um, so with this idea of the just price, he found that it, it was proof to him that the consumer and worker satisfaction were not mutually exclusive. Right. I also assume, man, if you pay people for their work, then people who are good at their work want to work with you, mm -hmm. right? So then the quality of the product in improves even more, right? Like I, I don't know. I'm I'm no economist. I'm no business person. But it feels like paying people what they're worth gets you people who are worth more. Yeah, yeah. You heard it here first. Put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> hey, put this on a t-shirt. Okay. Have nothing in your house that you do not know to be useful or believe to be beautiful. Wait a minute. So that is like Marie Kondo stuff. I mean, a little Marie bit. Marie Kondo is just stealing from William Morris. Is that what you're saying? Wow, folks. You heard it here first from the mouth of Teresa Wait, herself. No, no, no. He wasn't saying that you should have less in oh. your life. And Marie Kondo is kind of saying that, you know, it, less clutter. He still believed in clutter. Oh, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. But it should be beautiful or useful. And not, it should make you happy. And it spark should make joy. you happy. Yes, indeed. It should spark joy in you. Right. 
1875, Morris assumed total control of the firm, renaming it Morris and Co. Um, and the company continued to operate in one capacity or another until 1940, uh, which is definitely a testament to his designs, right? That's, yeah, that's a very long time. That's a very long time. It's over 100, well, not 100 years for the company, but he would have been over 100 years old at that point. Right. But I assume um, he didn't live to 100 years no, old. No, no he okay. didn't. That um, was optimistic. We've done a lot of biographies <laughs> on this and it's an optimistic poll that he would have lived to be 106. Yeah. Uh, I didn't think it would happen, but you could hope. Uh, he never really seemed to quite break into the bigger markets, right? It was mostly people who were, you know, well off and coming from a place of privilege who could afford his designs and, and things. But so it's good stuff. It's definitely good stuff. But... Was he a little bit out of touch about the time? Yeah. Definitely sounds like it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like, like, but on the other hand, it sounds like he wanted to pay the workers for their work, right? Yes, totally. Um, that he, you know, thought the people who were making it were as important as the people who are buying it, or mm-hmm. at least that's how it sounds. So I think it is obviously a little classist when you think about the, like, probably the pricing of it and everything, but maybe that's more, is more a reflection of how everyone else was getting paid at the time, right? Yeah, that's, that does make sense. If there was more income equality, then everybody would have been able to afford to buy these better made things mm-hmm. by people who are being paid for their time and it would have like cycled through that way. Yeah. You know, so I don't know. Is it, is, I, I, I don't know enough to say that it's classist versus optimistic. I don't know. Uh, let's take a little side jaunt here. Um, it wasn't the only thing he was working on. He also was doing animatronics. He produced a series of Icelandic sagas. I wasn't far off. Go on. Uh, he translated these sagas into English with his friend Eiriker Magnusson. Sure. Magnusson? Uh, Magnusson. Maybe. That's, yeah. Uh, because he was incredibly inspired by his visits to Iceland and their culture. Um, so he, he wrote some epic poems and novels. Sure. Uh, let's see, The Earthly Paradise, uh-huh. uh, A Dream of John Ball, sure, and News from Nowhere, and the fam- fantasy romance, The Well at the World's End. These are all very good titles. They sure are. Um, he was also active in his community. In 1877, he founded the Society for the Protection of Ancient Buildings. It's because... Um, a lot of the, quote, restoration of the Victorian era was... It's, uh, destroying history. Destroy it. Smash it and we'll build Make something grand. cool. Um, and so uh, by this time, I'm oh, sorry, by the 1880s, uh, Morris was a committed revolutionary and a dedicated socialist activist. Cool. His house would become a meeting place for uh, socialist leagues of all kind, mm-hmm. um, along with, you know, George Bernard Shaw and, and, and other pioneers of the time, right? All right. We got to it. He dies. 1896. He dies of tuberculosis. 1896. So he would have been, what, 62? You say that with a question at the end, but you're the one who does good math. Yeah, I believe you. If he was born in 1834, yes, and he died in 1896, he would yes. have been 62. Um, so I think that that the most far-reaching kind of ideal 
is is really what we spoke about, right? This kind of this idea that laborers should be paid well mm-hmm. for the work that they do, and that work doesn't need to be mindless. It yeah. should have some kind of joy and craft. Well, I mean, it feels like to look at it, I don't know, phrase it slightly differently, of like if you treat people like people, right, and you allow them to take pride in their work mm-hmm. because they are being treated like people who should take pride in their work, that their work will be better, right? And they right. will be and, happier. And, and last longer yeah. and have less environmental impact, right? Because, you know, if you have to buy a new chair every year, a lot that's, of waste. that's a lot of waste, not only in the landfill, but also in the pro- the energy of production, yeah. right? So if things last longer, they work better, they're better for the environment as well. Okay, I'm on board with this, dude. I like it. I'm glad we talked about this fellow. Thank you for teaching me and the listeners about William Morris. And the arts and crafts movement. And the arts and crafts movement. (laughs) All right, everybody. Thank you so much. Once again, sorry we're late. So there will be another episode this week. That's right. A twofer. A two for one. Um, We want to say thank you to MaximumFun.org, our podcast home. Thank you to you for listening and to supporting us. Don't forget to go check out McElroyMerch.com for all your McElroy merch needs. You can also go to McElroy.family for all the other McElroy projects. Um, We're going to be uh, coming up on Max Fun Drive pretty soon. So get excited about that. Uh, let's see. Who else do we thank, Teresa? We always thank Brent, Brentelfloss Black, for writing our theme music, which is available as a ringtone where those are found. Also, thank you to Kayla M. Wassel for our Twitter thumbnail art. You can get you can um, ask us questions, I think, for our next show, right? Yeah, we're doing uh, pranks. Yes, please submit questions. Because of April Fool's Day. A- so, April Fool's Day. Yeah, so if you have questions about pranks, uh, before this episode goes up, team uh, the team We'll put uh, a tweet up on the Shanners account uh, saying that the next topic is going to be pranks. So if you have questions about the etiquette of pranks, I guess, yeah, yeah. you can ask them there. Uh, at Schmanner's Cast. At Schmanner's Cast. That's right. Uh, thank you to Brew Up Eddie Pinup Photography for the cover picture of our fan run Facebook group. Lots of great discussions going on there. So if you love to give and get excellent advice from other fans, uh, go ahead and join that group as well. And keep submitting your topics schmannerscast at gmail.com like I said this one was submitted by Summer and Alex our wonderful research assistant reads every single one so thank you Alex couldn't do it without you Alex thank you so much I hope you take pride in your work I believe she does I believe she does too okay that's gonna do it for us thank you for joining us Uh, you've been listening to Schmanner no no join us again Join us again next week. No RSVP required. You've been listening to Schmanners. Manners, Schmanners. Get it. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.